Recorded live.
Okay, we're going to change CDs, go to the New American Standard CD and songbook. Songs that are uh, actually scriptures touch to music and from the New American Standard Bible. And if you don't have a copy of our worship music CDs, please feel free to contact us and ask for free copies of our worship music CDs, and we'll be glad to mail these to you for free. We're going to do song number four on the New American Standard Music CD, song number four. And that is, in case you don't have a CD or a songbook, this comes from Ephesians 6. So you could turn to Ephesians 6 in the New American Standard Bible and sing along with us from the Bible. Ephesians 6, verse 13 to 18. Now, it's not exactly word per word of the Scripture, but it is the Scriptures to music uh, with a, a word or two uh, difference in order to make it fit to the music. So Ephesians 6, verse 13 to 18.
And his next one is from 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29, and it is page number 6 in the New American Standard Songbook. Page number 6, 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 to 14. Verses 10, the last part of verse 10, to verse 14. Blessed art thou, O Lord God of Israel. Blessed art thou, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Blessed art thou, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever.
lead them and guide them in your truth and in your light forevermore without end. Please be with our people, Father, our family, the members of the body of Christ, wherever they may be, on this seventh day as we gather together, Father, in your name. I ask, Father, for your special blessing on this service, on this broadcast, that you be blessed, that you be worshipped, Lord, that your people be increased in the knowledge and understanding of your will and of your spirit, Father. We ask, Father, for the people to become filled with your presence, Father, for you to abide in them and them in you. Ask, Father, for your special help in listening and hearing in receiving your word. Pray for your will to be accomplished in this this day, that there be no hindrances to the movement of your spirit, that there be no hindrances to learning and understanding your will, that there be no hindrances in obeying you and following you. We claim and plead the blood of Jesus Christ over this service, over this broadcast, and over every person that is listening to this broadcast, whether it be live or in the archives. We thank you, Father, for this word that we're going to receive today. We receive it with gladness and with thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus Christ, so be it. Amen. Praise God. We're going to be starting in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 14. If you want to be, go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 14. And for the record, today's date in the Roman calendar is July the 16th, 2016 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In God's created calendar is the 12th day of the fourth month, 12th day of the fourth month. Today's topic is beware of the fairy tale feel good peace prophets. Beware of the fairy tale feel good peace prophets. And of all those, beware of all those of a feel good message. Amen. A tickle your ear, feel good message. We've sort of covered this in a different aspect, uh, in a different sermon recently, but today going about it in a little bit different way. In Jeremiah chapter 14, starting in verse 10, Jeremiah 14, verse 10, reading from the New American Standard Bible. And reading it uh, the way that uh, it would have originally been uh, written, the way it should be translated, the way it's going to be in the Alpha and Omega Bible, it would say, Thus saith G, J E, to this people. Even so, they have loved to wonder, they have not kept their feet in check. Amen. They have not kept their feet in check or under control. Therefore, G does not accept them. 
He does not accept people who are living in wickedness and out of patrol without repentance. They may call on the name of the Lord as many as many times as they want, even upon the true name, and still not be saved if they have not repented of their wickedness. So that goes completely contrary to the once saved, always saved doctrine, which is a tickle your ears, feel good, peace, prophecy message. Once saved, always saved doctrine is a doctrine of prophecy. It is a prophecy that regardless of what you do, regardless of anything, if you have supposedly been saved, that there is nothing that you can do to lose that salvation. In other words, you can live out of check, out of control, unrepentant, but yet you will not endure that lake of fire. You will not perish. You will not die. You will not go to hell, basically. You will not perish in the lake of fire. That's a prophecy of your fate. And it's a false prophecy of your fate. And it's a dangerous, extremely satanic, demonic, dangerous doctrine of a feel-good, feel-good peace. Peace. Nothing's going to happen to you. And it says here, the Lord does not accept them. Now he will, will remember their iniquity. He will remember their sin, their trespasses, their lawlessness, and call their sins to account. So Jesus said to me, do not pray. Do not pray for the welfare of his people. And when they fast, these are religious people, deeply religious people. The Jews that is speaking of here in Jeremiah in the B.C. years were wicked people, rebellious, but they were deeply religious. Amen? They were deeply religious. They even kept the seventh day. They even went to the temple to worship every week and every holy day. They were deeply religious, but they were unrepentant. They even fasted, but they were unrepentant. Acts 2.38 says to repent and be baptized. Amen. And you will receive the prompts of the Holy Ghost. It says, don't pray for these people. She told Jeremiah, who was a man of God, don't pray for these wicked people. Now that may seem completely contrary and opposite of what we're supposed to do because we have always been taught. Always pray for the people. We know we are to pray for our enemies. 
We know that we are to pray for people to repent. But these people had already been warned over and over and over and over. God didn't just send Jeremiah, but also sent Ezekiel and Isaiah and other people, I believe Micah and others, several, several of the prophets of the Bible were sent ahead of time. And Jeremiah didn't prophesy only for a few days or a few weeks or a few months. He prophesied for years, year after year after year after year after year. For years, many years. And the same with all the other prophets that God sent. He sent a lot of prophets, a lot of warnings, a lot of messages. The people had chance after chance after chance after chance to repent. God is not only the God of second chances, but three and four and five and a hundred chances. But they still did not repent. Judgment was at the door. And God made a decision. And as a man of decision, as a righteous judge, he made a verdict. God made a verdict that the judgment must be carried out. And once the judge slams the hammer down and hands down that verdict, there's no turning back. However, there are exceptions, even as in the days of Jonah, the hammer was handed down, the verdict had been made, the people fasted, but the difference was the people fasted and repented. They actually repented. And then God did change the verdict. But in this case, God knew that the people was going to fast. They were going to fast, but they were not going to repent. The same is true in our day and in our time and in our society and in the United States and across the world right now. There are people praying and there are people fasting but very, very few have repented. And this nation of the United States, the majority, and the Western society and Western world and the British Commonwealth and the communist nations and the Islamic nations, the whole world in general, the majority thereof, are so extremely wicked and so far gone, they are not going to repent until after the judgment is actually carried out. Judgment must come. Now, God is able to see the end from the beginning, and he knows whether or not someone will repent. He even knew that Nineveh would repent after the verdict was handed down. He knew that they was going to repent by
by the sending of Jonah. And in this case, he also knew but that by the sending of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Micah and this one and that one and this one and that one, time after time and time and after year and generation after generation, that they would not repent in that particular situation and in this generation. Therefore, to pray for those people would be wasted breath, wasted time, wasted energy, and a false hope. There are times that we must face the reality. Amen. And there are times that we must accept what the Bible declares. And there are times that the people need for the judgment to come rather than for the judgment to be reversed. There is a time that judgment is needed that will bring forth the repentance even as a good parent disciplines their children. So in that wisdom, God told Jeremiah, do not pray for these people, for the welfare of these people. And that when they fast, even though they're going to fast, I'm not going to listen to their cry, it says in verse 12. And when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings and all these things that the Bible told them to do, I'm not going to accept them. But rather, I am going to make an end of them by the sword, by famine and pestilence. Amen. Now that sword and famine and pestilence is a foreshadowing of the end time seals of the first four seals of the white horse, the red, the black, and the green horse. In one way, the uh, red horse, second seal, represents communism, but it also represents revolution and war. And that third seal, the black horse, represents Nazism, but it also represents the fruit of Nazism, famine, famine. So you got sword and famine, war and famine, second seal and third seal. And then that fourth seal of Revelation 6, the green horse, the pale horse, represents Islam, but it also represents disease and pestilence. So there's a lot of different meanings to prophetic things. And the first seal is a false peace. That first seal of Revelation 6, the white horse, represents the appearance of righteousness, whiteness, the white horse is appearance of righteousness, appearance of peace, appearance of holiness, a antichrist spirit, a coexist spirit, peace here and peace there, peace between different religions, peace between different nations, the Nobel Peace Prizes and so forth. And what we are warning about today is beware of the false prophets of peace, the fairy tales, the non-reality 
the feel-good peace prophecies. Verse 13 says, The awe, Lord G. I said, look, the prophets are telling them, you will not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I would give you lasting peace in this place. That is what the official prophets of the kingdom, the ones that were church-sanctioned, the ones that was temple-sanctioned, the ones that, that the people believed and looked to, the people that the prophets or officials of the temple and of religion and of Judaism and of the Jews, that the people looked up to these particular ministers and priests who supposedly had a gift of prophecy. These were well-known men and men of renown and men who were well-respected well and looked up to. These were the television evangelists of the day, sort of. And they were proclaiming to the public that you're not going to see war. You're not going to see invasion. That Jeremiah is insane. Same thing they say by all the other prophets throughout time. Amen. Peace. You're going to have peace. Verse 14. Then Jesus said to me, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, deviation, fertility, and the deception of their own minds. What they wanted to believe. A feel-good message. A tickle-the-ear message. And that's what we have today. It is what's been prophesied that would occur in our generation. The once saved, always saved doctrine, the pre-trib rapture doctrine, the no war doctrine, the no invasion doctrine, the no fall of the United States, that the United States will not be invaded, that Israel will not be invaded. These are all feel-good, false prophecies according to the, to the desires of their own heart and their own imagination. Traditions of man. Verse 15. Therefore thus saith ye, according uh, concerning the prophets who are prophesying in my name, although it was not I who sent them, yet they keep saying that there will be no sword or famine in the land. By sword and famine, those prophets, false prophets, shall meet their in. Amen. They're going to meet their end. Verse 16. The people also to whom they are prophesying will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and there will be no one to bury them, neither them nor their wives or their sons nor their daughters, for I will pour out their own wickedness on them. So not only the false prophets will be judged, but even those that listened to the false prophets, those that believed the false prophets, those that supported the false prophets. Amen. It takes two to tango. And 
The one side is just as guilty as the other side. Amen. For the people could have rejected the false prophecies. The people could have risen up against those false prophecies and spoke out against those false prophecies, but they did not do so. They did not speak against the false prophecies, but they went along with it. Amen. They were accomplices to the sin. They wanted to hear these false prophecies. They wanted to hear that nothing bad is going to happen. And there's a lot of people like that today, that they don't want to hear that the end of time is coming or that the end of this nation is coming or the end of such and such is coming or the end of peace. They don't want to hear the invasion is coming. They don't want to hear these things. So they don't accept the truth because they don't want the truth. They want a feel-good false prophecy is what they want. Chapter 15, verse 1, Jeremiah 15, verse 1. Then Jesus said to me, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, even it should be like, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. And it should be that when they say to you, where should we go, then you are to tell them, thus saith G, those destined for death to death, and those for the sword to the sword, and those for famine to famine, and those for captivity to captivity. So Jesus prophesied, through Jeremiah, that death, sword, famine, and pestilence, and captivity, and all these things were going to come. And that even if true men of God, even Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, but even if Moses were to intercede, even if Samuel was to intercede, which, you know, it was impossible, they were dead and in the grave, but he just used an analogy. That's all God is doing, using an analogy. That even if, even if his friend Moses, Moses was such a dear and close friend to God. Moses was the first man that actually heard uh, the name G. Because before that, Man knew him as only as Theos and um, other names and titles. But to Moses, he, God opened up and revealed to Moses at the burning bush his more intimate and more powerful name of G. And Moses was even allowed to see part of the glory of God. Moses had a very special, close relationship with God. He was truly a friend of God. And so was Samuel. Samuel and Moses were among the top friends that God has ever had. But even if these 
special buddies of God were to intercede for these wicked people, it would be in vain. They would be just only wasting their breath. I think that we need to think more carefully, examine more carefully, and pray about what to pray. Perhaps we should pray and ask what we should pray, what we should not pray for. We should ask for discernment. We should ask for increase of the measure of his spirit within us. We should ask for guidance of prayer of how we should pray. We should ask for him to teach us how to pray. We should ask for the Holy Ghost to pray for us and with us. Amen. We should ask Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, to intercede in our behalf to the Father. Now, Jesus is the Father but he is also the son of man. And and until the son of man has put all things under his feet, even death itself, at the great white throne judgment, until that day of of the great white throne judgment in the lake of fire, Jesus is still submitted unto the larger measure of his own being called the Holy Spirit and the Father. And then they shall be one again and be made whole, the Bible says. These things are hard for the carnal mind to understand. These things are hard for the human in in the flesh to understand. But we serve one God, the Scriptures say. Now it says here, Let's go to Ezekiel. Let's go to the book of Ezekiel, which is over to your right. Ezekiel 13, verse 1. Ezekiel 13, verse Then the word of G came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel. Prophesy against the prophets. <laughs> Amen. Who prophesy and say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration, listen to the word of G. Thus say of the Lord G, woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. 
O Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among ruins. You have not gone up into the breaches, nor did you build the wall around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of G. They see falsehood and lying deviation, which are, who are saying that G declares when G has not sent them. Yet they hope for the fulfillment of their word. They hope for it. It's a false hope. It's a false prophecy. It is a feel-good message of peace. Verse 7, did they not see a false vision and speak a lying deviation when they said, G declares, but it's not I who have spoken. Therefore, thus saith G, no, it should say, thus saith the Lord G, because you have not spoken, because you have spoken falsehood and see a, seen a lie, before, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord G. So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying deviations. They will have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel, that they may know that I am the Lord G. It is definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace when there is no peace. And when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash, so that those who plaster it over with whitewash, that it will fall. A flooding rain will come, and you, O hailstones, will break. And a violent wind will break out. Now, we know in Isaiah and uh, even in Ezekiel 38 that the Assyrian, the son of perdition, the so-called Antichrist, Assad, is described as being a storm and a flood. And so in this way, uh, both the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar was also described as being uh, hailstones and a violent wind to break out against Israel and Judah. Verse 12, Behold, when the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, where is the plaster of which you plastered it? Therefore, thus say of the Lord G, I will make a violent wind break out in my wrath. There will also be my anger, a flooding rain, and hailstones to consume it in wrath. So I will tear down the wall, which you plastered over with whitewash, and bring it down to the ground, so that its foundation is laid bare. And when it falls, you will be consumed in its mist. You know, this building covered in whitewash is... Temporary buildings that are made to look strong. Temporary buildings that are made to look as if they're going to last forever. Buildings that they say will not be torn down, like the temple, like the Titanic ship, that they said that even God himself could not sink it, and it sunk that very same day that they said that. So... And it also represents the false church. God said that the Pharisees were like tombs that were whitewashed, that they paint, they make it look pretty, 
like the white horse that has a white appearance, it has a holy appearance, but it has a heart of war, that white horse does. And these people in the false church, the church of Babylon, you know, it's tradition with uh, a lot of the small churches in the mountains of Tennessee and across the United States have these small Baptist and Pentecostal little white churches with the steeples. These are uh, whitewashed buildings, and people are whitewashed buildings that have an appearance of holiness, an appearance of righteousness, false Christianity, but they will fall, and Babylon will fall. And Babylon will fall is speaking of a literal city and of a religious institution of Rome, of the Roman Empire, of the Roman Church, and so forth, and of all the Babylonian uh, uh, religionisms uh, and denominations of our time. So there's a lot of meaning, different meanings, to this building that is white plastered and whitewashed. But all of that is going to fall. Amen. So this here is also a foreshadowing of our day and our time and of the last 45 days called the wrath in the book of Thessalonians and in the book of Revelation, those last 45 days. And that's when Babylon falls. So this is a foreshadowing of the wrath and the fall of Babylon. Amen. So a lot of the prophecies of Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel is talking not only about their day and time, but about our day and time. Amen. Another one of these fairy tale feel good peace prophecies is that you're not going to see the Great Tribulation in our day and time. A lot of people think that, a lot of people preach that now. But you're not going to see the Great Tribulation in our day and time. Some of them say, well, it's 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years from now. And other people go completely the opposite extreme and say all the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled thousands of years ago, and we're not going to say any of that. So two different extremes. And another uh, fairy tale, feel-good false prophecy that's popular in our day and time is with every election now, the last uh, two elections, including this one, it is that these people like Pat Robinson, Glenn Beck, and uh, uh, Bob Jones of Bob Jones University saying that such and such will win the election, like Bob Jones and Pat Robinson both said that Mitt Romney would win the election, the last election that they had, or one before that, whenever Mitt Romney ran, they said, lots of people said, all across Facebook, YouTube, the CNN program, Bob Jones University, all these different people all over the place were saying, God told them, God told them that Mitt Romney would win and bring peace and prosperity to the United States and to the church, and that the church would have a great revival and America would be saved by large numbers. It would just break out of a great revival all across America. That's what these people all over the place were saying. And they said the same thing about Ted Cruz within the last few months when Ted Cruz was running for president. Glenn Beck said that, that the Bible says, that God says and the scriptures say that Ted Cruz would become president and that 
Ted Cruz would bring revival to the nation and that the whole nation would repent and get saved and be a great revival of the end times. Well, where's Ted Cruz now? So we see the same thing happening in the United States today as what did happen in the book of Jeremiah where they were saying that it's going to be okay and it's just going to be peace in our land and even revival and it's going to be okay, not war, not judgment. So we have to beware of the fairy tales, of the false hope, of the feel-good peace prophets and prophecies and ministries. Now here in Ezekiel 13, it says, let's go to verse uh, 14. So I will tear down the wall which you plastered over whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation is laid bare and when it falls you will be consumed in its midst and you will know that I am G. Thus I will spend my wrath on the wall and those who have plastered it over with whitewash and I will say to you the wall is gone and its plasterers are gone along with the prophets of Israel who prophesy to Jerusalem who see visions a peace for her when there is no peace, declares the Lord Jesus. Now, I just need to make a note here for a second. You want to go ahead and be turning to uh, Luke 17. Luke 17. Luke 17, verse 22. Luke 17, verse 22. And he said to the disciples, The days will come when you are not, when you will long, when you, when you will long to see, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there and look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just as the lightning, even when it flashed out of the one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Talking about the day Jesus comes, the day that Jesus lands on the earth, that it's going to be like lightning comes from one end of the sky and eventually goes to the other end of the sky. And what that's talking about is when a storm is coming, or when Jesus is coming in this case, you can see the clouds in a great distance. If your land is flat without mountains or maybe even with mountains, you can see the sky, the, the clouds coming, you can see the lightning 
flash from a long distance and it gets closer and it gets closer and it gets closer. So even when Jesus comes, that you're going to be able to see him come from a distance and get closer and closer and closer. So then in verse 25, but first he must suffer many things to be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so will it also be also in the days of the Son of Man, the return of Jesus. Uh, and we know that they laughed and mocked at Noah and did not believe the prophecies that God sent through Noah, even though Noah, according to the Bible, according to the book of Peter, that Noah went into the prisons and witnessed to people that had a chance to even get out of prison. If they would repent, they could have gotten out of prison and gotten on the ark. God was so merciful to even witness to the prisoners. But they did not repent, and they did not believe, and they were not let out of prison, and they did not get on the ark. And only eight souls were saved because the majority of the people were wicked and unrepentant. Amen. Even though God did reach out to them, they would not repent. Same thing as happened in Jeremiah's day and in our day. And also, it describes our day and time, verse 27, that they were eating and drinking, meaning getting drunk, and they were marrying, and they were given in marriage, meaning that they were uh, divorcing for foolish reasons, just foolish reasons, like arguing over money, so on, so on, but not for adultery, but other reasons not for biblical reasons, not for fornication reasons, but for foolish, ridiculous reasons, marrying over and over and over, getting married five times, six times, so on. And that's the way that they do today. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. They were doing these things even up to that very day. They were still living in their wickedness. Same thing when Jesus comes, they will still be living in their wickedness all the way up. Even to the very day that Jesus comes, they will still be in sin, unrepentant. Even though by the time Jesus comes, they're going to have had 1,335 days of being able to see the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist the great tribulation, the wrath of God, all these opportunities to repent. And they still won't have repented on the day that Jesus comes. So see, the only people that are going to be judged, that's going to receive the judgment and the punishment, are the people that are going to deserve it. Amen. God is just. He hands down righteous judgments, righteous verdicts. Verse 28, it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. Talking about Sodom and Galora. They were eating and drinking, getting drunk. They were buying and were selling, and they were planting and they were building. And also the drinking refers also to uh, being married, not sad, not distressed about the situation, but just a feel-good 
mentality, enjoying life, going on uh, with life as normal, as if nothing is going to happen. Same with the buying and selling. It's not wrong to buy or sell, but they were doing so in an attitude of, well, I can buy me a house. I can buy me land. I can buy me a car. I can buy this and I can buy that. I can sell in order to make money because I don't have to worry about the coming of the Lord. That is the attitude of all these different generations when the judgment comes. Even planting and building. On the very day that Jesus comes, there's going to be people out in the field. The Bible says there'll be two in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. They will be out in the field planting as if it's going to be, they're going to be around to harvest it months from now. They're still going to be building a building. There's a scripture somewhere, so I can't find it, that says even the mortar will still be wet. They will still be building buildings, stone upon stone, and trying to set it with wet cement, and the cement will still be wet when Jesus comes. They will still be thinking, oh, God ain't coming today. God ain't coming this year. It'll still be that mentality. Verse 29, but on the day that Lot went out from Solomon, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. This was not a volcano. Amen. This was nothing that can be explained by science. This was judgment from heaven. The far came from heaven. Amen. It says right here, from heaven. And destroyed them all. And it will be just the same. On the day that the Son of Man, Jesus, is revealed, meaning manifested. Manifested in the sky. Actually being able to be seen. Verse 31, on that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out, and likewise, the one is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. We should not seek to preserve the United States of America. Because we need to come to the reality that the end must come, that there's a day appointed for Jesus to return, and his return is better than America surviving. Amen. The return of Jesus Christ, even in a great wrath from battle of Armageddon, is, a, is better than America continuing in her sins forever. America needs to receive judgment. And America must come to an end. Must come to an end. The kingdom of God is a better kingdom which we seek, not built of human hands. That is the kingdom and the city of which we seek. We don't seek the city built with human hands and wet mortar. But we seek a city of the new Jerusalem. Amen.
verse 34. I tell you that on that night there will be two in one bed and one will be taken and the other will be left. This is not a rapture. What this is, it explains it. Let's keep reading and it will explain it. And there will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, where, Lord? The disciple says, where? Where will they be taken? And Jesus answered. He said to them, where the body is, talking about dead bodies, where these people are, there will be also vultures or raptures or raptor birds, birds of prey, will be gathered, eating those people. These are not taken to heaven. The one that's taken will be eaten by birds. This verse refers back to Revelation 16, verse 16, and it also refers to Revelation 19, verse 19. Again, those verses are Revelation 16, 16, and 19, 19. It also refers to uh, Ezekiel 39, verse 4. Ezekiel 39, verse 4. You can look up those verses later in your homework assignment. <laughs> but uh, this is not a rapture. This is the very day Jesus comes after the wrath, after the great tribulation, even as Matthew 24 says. And these people that are taken are eaten by the raptor birds. So that pre-trib rapture is a fairy tale, feel-good, false prophecy. And we need, we need to beware of the ministers and preachers that teach a pre-trib rapture. We have no business in a building, in a whitewashed building, even if it's not white, even if it's mortar, even if it's brick and clay building, red, white, whatever color the building is, we have no business going to such a church where they're teaching these fairy tales. Amen? No business in such a place. Jeremiah was told by God to stand at the door of the temple, and that was a true temple of God at that time, not a false church building, but it was a true house of God. And Jeremiah was told to stand at the gate, at the door, and tell the people their sins, exactly what their sins were. Jeremiah was told to tell them exactly what their sins were. Even Isaiah was told to tell the people exactly what their sins were. To cry aloud and spare not and tell my people their sins. It is necessary is an unpleasant job, unpleasant to tell people their sins. But it's necessary. Now, it's not for everybody to do, but pastors have a job and duty and responsibility to say it the way it is because people need to hear. Time is short. People don't like to hear their names in a broadcast and people don't like this and like that. But we also know that the scriptures say that if we see the sword coming, that we must warn the people. 
Now let's go to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. No, chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4. To Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of Theos and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by or about his appearing, his revealing, his manifestation, his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. By all of this, by all of this, I charge you, I put you in duty and responsibility, Timothy, Paul said, to preach the word and be ready in season and out of season at all times. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come. Amen. And it's here now when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled, a feel-good message, false prophecies of peace, they will accumulate, accumulate, hoard up for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Feel-good messages, Joel Holstein and Rick Warren and uh, Bob Jones and Pat Robinson and Glenn Beck, whenever he was talking about Ted Cruz, and Kim Clement, uh, a uh, false prophet out there, very popular, especially among women, Kim Clement, a man named Kim, and people are flocking to that false prophet of Kim Clement. You don't need to look him up because you don't need to learn about... uh, him other than to be warned to stay away from him. And uh, we don't have to dig into everything that a false prophet is saying. You know? So just be warned of these people. Amen. The people are accumulating to themselves all these false prophets because they want to have their ears tickled of what they want to hear. Verse 4 and would turn away their ears, turn their head, ignore and reject, turn away their ears from the truth. Amen. And would turn aside to myths. Myths? That's a fairy tale. And this is exactly what preacher of rapture is. Just as many people around the world trusted and believed in the preacher of rapture date of hired camping when he was still alive, the 90-some-year-old man that said that God would come back on a certain date. And people had sold their houses and this and that and this and that. And some people committed suicide and everything. People believed him all around the world, believed that God was going to come back on the same day that Howard Camping had predicted. And, of course, it did not occur. But it's, uh, people would turn their ears to the false prophet, but away from the true prophets. Verse 5, But you, 
be sober in all the all things, enduring hardship, and do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 6, because I did mention the seals. Revelation 6, verse 1. Revelation 6, verse 1. Then I saw when the Lamb, Jesus, broke one of the seven seals, and I heard when the four living creatures, angels, saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. I looked, and behold, a white horse in this vision, and he sat on it, had a bow and a crown, was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer that word bow does not refer to a bow and arrow. If it did, it would say bow and arrow, but it don't say bow and arrow. The word bow there in Greek is the word toxin, which does not mean poison. But the word toxin in Greek, and I may be saying it wrong, but it's how it's spelled, means either a, a paper parchment, like a special document, a special document that's written on a special, fa- a special type of paper, a parchment paper, or it can mean a ribbon that holds a medal, a ribbon that's wore around the neck that would hold a gold medal or something like that. We know that with the Nobel Peace Prizes, uh, not only Nobel Peace Prize, but also the other Nobel Prizes of chemistry and literature and the other, all the different Nobel Prizes, including Nobel Peace Prize, that the winners of such are given a special piece of paper, a document, saying that they win, written on special parchment, special parchment, and also they are given a ribbon of a medal. Uh, So, and then the word crown here in Greek refers to a prize worn either on top of the head or hanging from a ribbon around the neck a medal, uh, and it is, according to the Greek word, it is awarded awarded to the winner of a, of a military campaign or a race or a game of some sort and awarded to that person by royalty. So the, the, the medal or the crown or the medal is given, awarded to the winner of a military campaign or a game or sport or uh, a contest of some sort awarded by royalty. And we know that all the Nobel Prizes are awarded by the King of Norway. So this description fits perfectly with the Nobel Prizes. And uh, I encourage you that if you've not yet read the article about the four horsemen, these four seals, uh, I really encourage you to make sure that you read that article about the four horsemen at isawthelightministries.com slash four horsemen, the, the number four, instead of writing it out with letters, the number four horsemen.html. Again, it's isawthelightministries.com slash four horsemen.html. Or you can just go to I Saw the Light Ministries and look up the article about the four horsemen.
Now let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now this is extremely important for our day and our time concerning an event that will occur. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And 2 Thessalonians is right before 1 Timothy. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So it's saying, what I we're talking about here, what I'm about to address is about the coming of Jesus Christ and our gathering to him. So that would be what people call the rapture, but it's going to tell you when it occurs. It says, verse 2, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by spirit or message or letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come until or unless the hypocrisy, the falling away, comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That word revealed means to actually be seen, manifested, the son of destruction or son of perdition. Same Greek word. You can translate it as perdition or destruction. The son of perdition would be a better way to translate that. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God, even above Allah, or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So this is, I mean, you can't get more clear than this. We're going to see the son of perdition, the Antichrist, sitting in the temple of God, showing himself as God before Jesus comes. So this is solid proof. Solid, solid. You can't get more solid than this. Solid proof against this, the, the fairy tale, the myth that Babylon is teaching called the pre-trib rapture. And they always say, you're not going to see the Antichrist. You won't see him because that will be gone by then, they say. That's what, what's his name? John Hagee says that. So he's another false prophet of a feel-good message. Feel good. You're not going to have to endure any of that. You're not going to have to suffer any of that totally contrary to Scripture. So, and it says here in verse 5, 
Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, talking about Michael, the archangel of Daniel 12, verse 1. You know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains Michael, the prince, will do so until he, Michael the prince, is taken out of the way. Daniel 12, verse 1 says that he will uh, rise or something like that, meaning that he will step away, that he'll be taken away. God is going to instruct Michael, the angel, to step away from the throne, from the seat in the temple of God in heaven, to allow the fallen angel Assad to momentarily take his seat, to sit in the seat of God, the sky is going to split open, and people are going to see Assad in heaven, in the seat of God, in the temple of God in heaven. Now, it won't appear to be Assad, probably, because he's going to appear as his angel self, as an angel of light. He's going to look like God. He's going to look like he's a, a great God and great power and great authority. He even says he's going to come in power. He's going to come in power. It's going to be a powerful thing. So we need to be warning people. Even though they're going to laugh at us, even though they're going to mock at us, this is just words. Just words. And we should not fear words. And we've got to warn the people because this is going to be a strong delusion, the Bible says. We need to warn the people because these people that have fallen for the fairy tales of a pre-trib rapture, they're going to see this. They're going to run out the streets worshiping him. And even though they won't believe us, perhaps, perhaps one person that we have told when it happens will have a second thought and say, well, let me just wait to see where he lands or let me wait and see if I'm going to be caught up. And then if they're not caught up and they, he don't land in Jerusalem, he don't land on the Mount of Olives, and it turns out to be Assad, and he, the person did not worship him, then perhaps we spared that person from worshiping the Antichrist. So... We need to warn. We were seeing the sword come, and we need to warn the people. Now, it says here in verse 8, Then that lawless one will be revealed, seen, and manifested, whom the Lord will eventually slay with the breath of his mouth and take to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is a quotation of Isaiah 11, verse 4, Isaiah 11, verse 4, and Isaiah 30, verse 31. Those scriptures for your homework, Isaiah 11, verse 4, Isaiah 30, verse 31, and quotation. And when you look in Isaiah, those verses, it's talking about the Assyrian. It's talking about the Assyrian. So Paul is quoting verses that specifically state that it is Assyrian. And verse 9, that it is 
the one whom's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan and with all power and signs and false wonders. So this is going to be an amazing sight. It's not just going to be a man standing on the temple mount. It's not just going to be a man on TV. It's going to appear in the sky. It's going to be, it's going to come with power and signs and wonders, even so much that it would even deceive and fool even the elect, if so possible. It's going to be that strong. Verse 10. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. They don't love the truth. They would they love more so the fairy tales and the feel-good, tickle-the-ear messages. They turn their heads away from the truth. They love not the truth. And for this reason, verse 11, that's why that God will send them a deluding influence. King James says, a strong delusion. So God's going to send a strong delusion. It's going to be a powerful image so that they will believe a lie. That they will believe a lie or what is false. It's a false coming. False coming of Christ. In order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth. They had opportunity, but they did not believe it. They heard the truth, but they did not believe it. This shows that they did hear the truth. Because if they had never heard the truth, it would not be worded this way. You can't reject the truth if you never heard it in the first place. So they heard the truth, but they did not believe it. But they took pleasure in wickedness. They took pleasure in wickedness. Solomon and Galore, days of Noah, gay marriage, all this other stuff, all this, all this filthiness in the world is all around us. They're taking pleasure in this stuff. They're not repenting and they're not going to repent until the judgment comes. We have to take our head out of the sand, face reality. Amen. Now look at uh, 1 Thessalonians over here to the left. Book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Now as to the times and the epochs, that word epoch just means eras, time eras. That's what that means. Concerning those times and eras, brethren, uh, these particular people that Paul was writing to in that day and that time of the city of Thessalonia, he says, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night while they are saying peace and safety. So even as in the days of Jeremiah, 
they were saying peace, peace, when there was no peace. Here, even on the day Jesus comes, they're still going to be saying peace and safety, but then destruction will come upon them. Sudden destruction will come upon them, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brother, are not in darkness, that that day would overtake you like a thief. Now, see, that's where Babylon teaches us wrong again, because Babylon says that, that Jesus is coming like a thief, and they say that as if he's coming like a thief even to you and I. But the Bible says that to you and I, to us, he's not coming as a thief. We're going to be able to know very, very, very closely to the day of his return. Because the Bible promises us that it's going to be a set amount of days for the tribulation. From the time that we see Assad in heaven to the time that we see Jesus coming down on the Mount of Olives and it shall cleave in two, Zechariah 14, will be exactly 1,335 days. Again, that's 1,335 days. From the time Assad appears in heaven to the time Jesus appears in heaven, now we're going to be called up 45 days before Jesus comes down on the Mount of Olives. But for the whole time period, 1,335 days. So you can count when a solid appears in heaven, you can actually start counting the days on a calendar and mark it on your calendar the very day Jesus comes back. And you might be off one day because of, uh, should you count the first day and the last day or only the first day or only the last day? So according to how you calculate it, you might be one day off. But you will come very extremely close to the day that Jesus comes. He's not coming, Jesus ain't, as a thief to those that are waiting for him, to those that are alert, to those that are waiting for his return, for those that want his return, those that are praying for his return, those that look forward to the kingdom. He's not going to be like a thief to us. Amen? But as a savior. Amen. He's coming as a savior to us, not as a thief to the people of God, but as a savior and as a king. And again, we'll be caught up 45 days before that, uh, or 42 to 45 days again to how you count it, uh, if we are ready and mature enough, clean enough, if we are truly saints then we will be called up at that time frame uh, to partake in the marriage supper of the Lamb of God in heaven, then come back down with him on that last day on the Mount of Olives. Amen. Now, God has always warned people before judgment. Always has. And we should not turn a deaf ear to those warnings in a false hope of peace. Amen. We have to face reality. We don't need these myths and fairy tales to make us feel good, to give us peace, to give us comfort, because 
the very presence of Jesus that already is here, the Holy Ghost, we call him, that's the spirit of him that died, was crucified, and yet is still alive. The ghost of him that died, but he's still alive, the Holy Ghost, crucified, resurrected, glorified. He lives in us. He is our counselor. He is our uh, comforter. Amen. John 14. He is our comforter and our counselor. He lives in us. He gives us peace. He's the prince of peace. So we don't need fairy tales to make us feel good or false doctrines or false prophecies. We have the king of peace. And we know he's going to return at at a promised time. He's going to return at a promised time. Amen. And he fulfills his promises. That is our hope. That is our peace. Comfort one another with these words. Amen. Not with false words, but with these words. A hope of a resurrection that is promised, that we should be caught up in the sky to meet him in the air before he returns down to the ground. We're going to meet him up in the sky. And we're going to return with him into heaven for the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. He's not going to land until the last day. Then we come back with him as his army, Zechariah 14 and Book of Revelation and so forth. He's going to come back on Mount Olives with us on the day of the battle of Armageddon. And that's also our hope and our peace. Our hope and our peace is him dwelling in him dwelling in us now and are being called up to him at the promised day of the seventh trumpet and of our return with him and of his millennium kingdom and of the second resurrection when many lost people will live again for a hundred years to learn the truth and be saved. That is a great hope. That is a great peace. That is a great comfort. We don't need lies and fairy tales and false prophecies to give us peace. We've got plenty of promises in the Bible, promises of a first resurrection, promise of a second resurrection, promise that there's a day coming of a hundred years when even the baby and the old man sinner, all of them will not die before being a hundred years old. That's a great promise that's not been fulfilled yet, but will be fulfilled. We have promises in the Bible that give us hope and peace rather than depending upon the false prophets. Amen. Praise God. Beware of who you listen to and who you follow. For many will come in my name and deceive many. Be in prayer and ask for discernment. Ask for wisdom, guidance, and leadership in all things. And I tell you this, that even if every word of prophecy I've ever spoken comes true, that alone does not prove me as a man of God. That alone does not prove me as a prophet of God. It only proves that I knew what's going to happen and nothing more than that. 
So there are other people that's also proclaiming some of the same things. There's other people proclaiming that dams are going to fall. But yet they're great deceivers with many false doctrines and many false prophecies, but they just have that one prophecy, right, that the dams are going to fall. So beware of them. There are people saying the truth that Russia and China will invade the United States. But they have other false doctrines and other false prophecies. There are people that preach Jesus' name, but yet they're great deceivers about other things and prophecies. So true prophecy and even true doctrine doesn't prove somebody that they're of God. We need the entire word of God. We need both prophecy and doctrine to be true, both. We need all the doctrines to be true, not just one or two or three or four or five. We need all the prophecies to be true and all the doctrines to be true. Amen. So, That's why it's important to really, really, really draw close to God who reveals things to us to show us who is true and who is not. It's not the fulfillment of a hundred prophecies that makes someone true. It is, do they really have the Spirit of God? Do they really know God? Do they really hear from God? Are they... Uh, are they really ordained of God? Are they really called of God? Do they uh, have a heart for the lost, a heart for the poor, heart for the oppressed? Do they love the truth? So forth. There's a lot to it. So be careful and beware of people that have some true doctrine or some true prophecy. Amen. Now, these are the things that that I felt led to share with you today, and I thank you for listening. And uh, if you're listening for the first time, please make sure you check out the ministry website at isawthelightministries.com. And we'll be back here next week, every Saturday at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I would also like to ask everybody for a special prayer. Please be praying that that Jesus will raise up pastors in other areas. We need pastors in other states and other nations. Uh, People live in other regions that can't, be here, you know, where I'm at, and I can do only so much over the phone and email and letters. I can only do so much. People need local pastors, local leaders and shepherds. People need that. And we need pastors. We need to pray that he's sending more laborers into the harvest. Amen. We need to be praying that prayer. And a lot of our followers are centered in mostly in Texas and South Africa and Australia and New New Zealand and Nigeria. And 
we have uh, people that's reading the website from all over the world, many different nations and states and cities. But for some reason, God has really centered it that a larger number of people that follow the ministry and the newsletter and everything are from Texas and Australia and South Africa. So let's be praying specifically as well for those particular areas where there's a larger number of people in need of local pastors that can be part of this ministry, that can work with and that I can work with them to help the people in those local areas where there's a larger congregation, larger numbers of people that can be brought together as a congregation if we just have a pastor in that area that will open up their home or building or barn or basement or something or public park to gather people in that area. Again, in Texas, Australia, South Africa, and other places, anywhere where God wants to raise up a pastor. Please be praying for this. And what I'm going to do, I feel like God's laid this on my heart, is I'm going to send a special prayer cloth to be circulated among a, a special select group of people. And when you when you receive this prayer cloth in the mail, I want you to pray over it, touch your hands on it, and pray that God raise up pastors in other regions, other areas, even in your area, and in Texas, Australia, and South Africa. And then after you pray that special prayer for that specific need for these regions, put it back in the mail and send it to the next person on the list, and I will send you the list, the next person on the list, that list will be in the envelope with the prayer cloth and you receive it. And then the next person receives it and they pray over it and they send it to the next person on the list and so forth down the line and then it comes back to me and it will make a full circle come back to me. And, and this will be a, a, a prayer line of people praying for this specific need over that same prayer cloth. I believe that God has put this on my mind to do this, and I believe that God wants us to do this, and we would join in prayer in that manner. I believe, I believe that God will hear this prayer to, to fulfill the needs of the people. Amen. And thank you for joining with me on this, and I will be sending this prayer clause to Jennifer and to Lisa. And if there's anybody else out there that wants to receive this prayer clause to pray over it, and you have already contacted me in the past, I know who you are, feel free, please contact me. And let me know that you want to receive it and pray over it too. Amen. Uh, but it has to be people that I know, not complete strangers, because we have to be careful. Amen. About things like that. We don't want people to lay hands on it who we don't know, who are complete strangers that may have spirits of witchcraft upon them or anything else. So only people that have already contacted me in the past that we're in contact with each other already. Please join with us in this prayer circle for this need. 
And if you are a complete stranger, you can still pray. Amen. You can still pray for this need. We need everybody to be praying for this need. Okay, thank you for listening. And all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.